0: So we're in our final week of the series on Jonah. Jonah, now there's only four chapters in Jonah. This is our fifth week in the series. So we're going to do some things that kind of pull it all together and and connect Jonah to other parts of the Bible, to the larger story of Scripture and to the New Testament today. But to begin with, let me just give you a little bit of a recap of where we've been if you haven't been able to be with us the whole time, the whole series. um, Number one... You remember how the book of Jonah starts, where God called Jonah to go and preach repentance to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria was hostile to Jonah's people, the Israelites. They were a threat to their actual existence as a nation. So Jonah ran away from God. He, ran, he didn't want that assignment. He wanted to get as far away from Nineveh as he could. He got on a, on a ship and started sailing across the Mediterranean in the opposite direction of Nineveh. So God wasn't done with Jonah. He's not, he's not going to just write him off and let him go. So God sent a storm on that boat. And the storm was threatening to, to sink the whole ship. Jonah told the crew, he said, Look, the only way you're going to be able to save yourselves is is if you throw me overboard. He says, This isn't about you, it's about me and God. We got this thing. And so you're going to have to, I can deal with it. Uh, And as soon as they did, the storm stopped. Jonah swallowed by this great fish. In the belly of the fish, he prays to God. He repents of his bad attitude. God hears him, gives him a second chance. In chapter 3, Jonah actually does go to Nineveh. He obeys the call. He brings them a message of a warning of God's impending judgment upon them. And the surprise, surprise to everybody, the surprise to Jonah for sure is that the people actually believed him and they repented of their evil. They humbled themselves in contrition. God heard their repentance. He saw their response. He forgave their sin. He relented from his judgment. So everybody lived happily ever after, right? Well, no, when you get to chapter 4, Jonah still got a problem. He didn't like that God had spared Nineveh. They were his enemies, and so, so God shows mercy to Jonah and works with him and nurtures him to help him understand the bigger perspective of what God was about. Now, the, really, ultimately, the end of the story is Assyria eventually did go back to their old ways again. And about 150 years later, God did bring destruction upon the nation of Assyria. They they ceased to exist after that time. So now that we're all caught up, what I want to do is is remind you of the basic idea of the whole uh, series. This is the premise of the series, is that the story of Jonah is about the God of miracles Who's willing to let everyone off the hook for their sins? So, we're gonna talk about some of the miracles that we see in the book of Jonah, this God of miracles. Now, what we've tried to do during the series is to clarify that God doesn't let people off the hook just by looking the other way, or just by ignoring our sin, or or pretending it didn't happen. That that God doesn't let people off the hook for their sin just because He doesn't care about evil. Or about sin, not, not at all. Every, every one of the sins that we commit, whether it's our thoughts, our attitudes, our motives, our words, our actions, whatever shape it takes, is a sin against a perfect and righteous and holy God. And that sin deserves judgment. The Bible says the payment for sin is death. But because God is so merciful, he sent his son to pay that payment in our place, on our behalf. He took the penalty of our sins so that when we respond in faith to him, then God lets us off the hook. We saw that with the city of Nineveh. They responded with contrition and repentance. God relented. And so today today we're going to look at the, the miracles that God does in the book of Jonah. Now having said that, I want you to understand the book of Jonah is not a fairy tale. It's not a Pinocchio story that somebody made up, but it's actually a historical account. Jonah's a real person who lived in a real time, who, who lived in a place that you can actually find on the map. And so here, for example, in, in 2 Kings, it talks about him. It says that Jeroboam II, he's the king, recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So it says Jonah had a father named Amittai, that he lived in a particular town called Gath Hefer, which, by the way, was in a region of Israel that belonged to the tribe of Zebulun. And This passage, 2 Kings, is from the historical writings of the Old Testament. It's an account of the facts. You know, what happened next? What happened next? And then you look at the book of Jonah, you see that all the places that are listed there are places that we can that we know where they are, we can find them today. But what what seals the deal for me is you look at Jesus when he talked about Jonah, and we'll see this later in the message. But when he talked about Jonah, he treated Jonah as a real person. He treated the details of Jonah's story as if they really happened. Mentioned him by name. So Jesus himself clearly assumed that the story of Jonah was historical, that Jonah was a real person. And so we're going to look today at four miracles of Jonah. There's more than four in the book. But we're going to look particularly at the ones where it says God did this or God did that. Or God caused this, God made such a, such a thing happen. And four times it describes things that God actually did that could not be then ascribed to just the action of nature. Or just to uh, uh, described by scientific laws and things like that. And so my goal this morning is to encourage you to believe God. To see, we see him in action in this story. We see the things that he's doing. I want to encourage you to take seriously what God says about himself. With the result that you you would put your trust in him for any and every situation that you might be facing in your life. And in fact beyond that to entrust your entire life and your entire eternity to him. So let's take a look four things. Number 1, it's a miracle that God spoke to Jonah in the first place. Well, that's how the book begins. The very first verse of the very first chapter, it says that the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment upon it because I've seen how wicked its people are. God's God starts it all off by speaking to Jonah. He speaks to him again at the beginning of chapter 3. In chapter 4, he speaks three times to Jonah. Now, that's a miracle because it can't just be explained by natural or scientific laws. And the miracle is not just that God can and does communicate with human beings, but that he'd want to speak to us, that he'd even want us to communicate back to him as well. Now, if you look at the history of God speaking, it starts at the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, God spoke the universe into existence. And in Genesis 1, each new day of creation begins by saying, Then God said. Then God said, let there be light. And so forth. And you know what? It happened. Whenever God says something, it happens. And so Isaiah 55 bears witness to this. God says it's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper wherever I send it. So God's word is powerful and he tells us through the prophet Isaiah, he says, look, my word's always going to produce fruit. It's always going to accomplish its result. It's always going to do what I want it to do. Now the amazing thing is that you and I have the privilege of experiencing this miracle all the time. We get to to have God speak to us, and God invites us to speak back to him. Now, for me personally, I've never heard God speak in an audible voice. I know people at Alpine Church who have, and they have some very precious experiences of God speaking audibly in a way that they could hear that was at a key, crucial moment of their life. I've never experienced that, but God has spoken to me countless times through his spirit, through his people, through his word and often those things in combination together so hebrews chapter 4 it says the word of god is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart so God speaks to us every time we open his word, the Bible. It's alive, it's active. The Bible is not just ink on a page or pixels on a screen nowadays, I guess, right? The Bible's more than just those inanimate, those inanimate media that we read it on. It it's a miracle. Every time we open it, God speaks to us of his goodness, of his power. He speaks to us of his great love for us. Every time we open it, he speaks to us of our need, our brokenness, and how much we need a Savior. Every time you open it, God speaks wisdom for your decisions. He speaks comfort for your challenges. He speaks forgiveness for your sins. And so he invites you to open this book and experience the miracle of God speaking to you. That's number one. Now, secondly, it was a miracle that God controlled the storm. Let me remind you what happened. We see it in Jonah chapter 1. The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. The ship in question is the ship Jonah was in. And it wasn't just bad timing on his part that he that he sailed at a bad time of year it wasn't just a coincidence that he happened to run into this storm but it says that god whipped up this powerful wind that god is the one who caused this storm to to descend to get jonah's attention now we're amazed right when we see a mighty storm at sea they still live by the ocean You see, incredible, it's powerful, it's threatening, it's majestic, it's amazing. Maybe you've seen some of the pictures of of Hurricane Ian and the the wind and the waves and the devastation, the power of a storm like that. And so it makes sense that ocean storms carried a great deal of symbolism back in Jonah's day. And in fact, many pagan nations believed that the sea was sort of synonymous with the whole idea of chaos. Every culture had a God of the sea who personified the untamed, raging power of the ocean. But you know what? The sea is not untamable by God. Now a storm, any given storm, might just be a force of nature. But not in this case. This storm arose not because of the confluence of certain atmospheric conditions. It says this storm arose because God made it happen. And that's why this storm is a miracle. So reflecting on this, the biblical writers in Job chapter 38 says, God is asking Job to think about this stuff. He says, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barreled gates limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. So God caused that storm. And not only did he cause the storm, the second part of the miracle is that God calmed the storm. See, God sets boundaries on, on nature. Now in chapter 1 we read how the sailors, they feel like their ship's about to, to be capsized and go down. They tried everything they could think of to survive the storm, throwing stuff overboard and all the rest. It, it hadn't, didn't have any effect because that storm was from God. It had God's purpose in it. And finally, like Jonah said, the only way you're going to survive is if you throw me overboard. They did that, and the storm stopped at once. Bam, just like that. Now, I've never seen a storm like that. I've seen storms wane and and stop gradually, even over a shorter period of time, but never just like, bam, and it's over. That's a miracle. It doesn't have any explanation in natural events. That's why the It says the sailors on the ship were so blown away. It says they were awestruck by God's great power. You know, you make your living on the sea as they did, you're going to see harsh weather. You're going to see every kind of threatening situation. They'd never seen anything like this, a storm that blew with such power, and then immediately stopped. And the result was, it says, they they were so amazed they offered sacrifices to God to acknowledge him. They vowed to serve this God who made all this happen. Because of his great power over the sea, God can control the seas. That's why in the New Testament, the disciples were so amazed at when Jesus did this. The story of Jonah maybe it was in the back of their mind when they experienced in Matthew 28. Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, earlier that very day, they'd seen Jesus heal the sick. They'd seen Jesus cast out demons. But when they saw him control the wind and the waves, see, they were in the boat in the middle of the sea at that time, so they had a personal stake in this one. And when they saw him calm the sea and control the wind, they were totally amazed. It gave them an inkling of who Jesus really was when he controlled the storm. Now, the third miracle in Jonah is, is the miracle that God provided the fish. So Jonah gets thrown overboard. He gets swallowed by this big fish. Now, I, I, I wanted to look into that. I, you hear stories from the past and stuff about, about sailors who are swallowed by a fish. And I, I wanted to look into this. I did some research on this. Not all those stories are, are totally credible. Um, but, but I did discover that it is possible for a human to be swallowed by a giant fish. In fact, there's one species of whale that will swallow a giant squid It's bigger than a human. What makes this, this a miracle is not that that happened, but that God caused it to happen. God was involved in it purposefully in Jonah 1. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. that kind of cracks me up a little bit when I see that wording. It's like God called the fish agency. Like I said, could you arrange to have a fish here at 2 o'clock on on Monday afternoon, you know? So, no, that's not how God arranges things, right? That God just set it up. He worked it out. Because God, often we see in the Bible, works through the animal world. God... Caused a ram to have its horns caught in a thicket, so that Abraham could offer a sacrifice to him. God used Balaam's donkey to speak to Balaam, so that he would not put a curse on the Israelites. God gave, uh, sent flocks of quail to feed His people when they were in the wilderness. In the New Testament, Jesus found two coins inside the mouth of a fish that He used to pay the temple tax for Himself and His followers. That wasn't a coincidence. And there's plenty more examples of God's sovereignty over all of creation. Except cats, of course. Cats do whatever they want, right? (laughs) If you're a cat lover, don't send me me an email, okay? My wife will take care of my thrashing for me. but Boyne point is it that God uses animal, the animal world, and it was a miracle because he caused it to happen. And here's how God wanted Job to think about that. In Job chapter 39, he says, is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings toward the south? Is it your command that the eagle rises to the heights to make its nest? Implication, God says, you can't do that, but I can. They do it because I called them to do these things. And so... We've learned a lot in the story of Jonah about God's nature and character and and his power and authority is highlighted throughout this whole story in these miracles. Now there's one more. The miracle that the fish could not contain Jonah. So Jonah's swallowed by this great beast. He's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. That's a miracle by itself for for Jonah to be able to survive in that setting. You know, the, the, the whale that could swallow a, a squid, well, the, their stomach is constrained. It's not like a little room where you could build a fire and, and stuff like that. There's no oxygen in there. And so it's a it's a miracle for Jonah to survive. Now, there's a couple of possibilities that different biblical scholars have pointed out, and either one of them could be the case. The first possibility is that Jonah actually, you see in chapter 2, he prays to God. But sometime after that prayer that maybe Jonah actually died and God resuscitates him when the fish fish spit him up to land. Other possibilities that God just supernaturally kept him alive uh, for that entire time. Either one of those is a miracle. Now, I know this story, this tale of Jonah makes us wrestle with this whole idea of miracles. Maybe you're wrestling with the concept of miracles right now in general, or maybe this particular miracle. But the way I've always approached this is if if God is real, if there is an infinite God, then none of these things is a problem for him. For the God who spoke the world into existence, for the God who controls the seas and the storms, who commands the animal world, neither of these miracles would be really any particular difficulty for him. But the point is, Jonah has prayed, he has his attitude of repentance, and God acts. And it says in Jonah 2.10, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. You see, God commanding the fish to do, what, to do what he wanted him to do, and the fish did it. By the way, it's interesting, if only Jonah had done that, right? That's the difference. We human beings have this independent will that God allows us If only Jonah had obeyed God in the first place, he would have avoided himself a ton of trouble, wouldn't he? And that certainly is true for us in many of the situations that we encounter in our lives as well. Now what I want to do to close is I want to connect the dots from the story of Jonah to the rest of the Bible. Because the story of Jonah actually points forward into the New Testament into another miracle, perhaps the greatest miracle that humanity has ever seen. It points forward to the resurrection of Jesus. So let's look at how Jesus talked about Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. One day some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus. They said, "'Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority.'" But Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So here's these religious leaders of Jesus' time who approach him asking for him to do, do a miracle to prove his authority. Well, Jesus had already performed a lot of miracles by then. He'd healed a lot of people. He'd cast out demons. He'd done a number of things right in public that everybody could see. And so that's why Jesus calls them an evil and adulterous generation because they refused to believe what he'd already done. They said, well, we want more. Well, then what guarantees that they would believe the miracle that he did then if they didn't already believe the other ones? Their hearts were hardened toward him. And so Jesus says, you're only going to get one sign. The sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, he says, Jesus says, I'll be in the heart of the earth for the same time. Now this seems kind of cryptic, but in retrospect, we understand he's talking about his death and burial. That he died on the cross, he was buried in a sealed tomb, on the third day that Jesus was raised to new life. And that's so important because when Jesus rose from the dead, that's like the exclamation point on his whole life, on on his work on the cross. It's like when he rose from the dead, he proved that he really had conquered sin on the cross. He proved that he really had conquered the power of death when he rose again for those who follow him. And so his resurrection, the Bible says, is a guarantee that his people will also be resurrected to glory one day. And so, the Book of Jonah, then, like the whole Bible, points toward Jesus. Not surprised, but we see the connection here. It points toward Jesus. Here is the parallel. There is a number of parallels. For for example, when Jonah, he went and called, he went and and called. Uh, out repentance from this gentile nation and he, he preached this message to them and when they repented he didn't like it because they were foreigners and enemies and and similarly when jesus came he came first for the jewish people but not only for them also for the gentiles as well and that's one reason the leaders of the jews hated him because he they couldn't control him what he wanted to do jonah sacrificed himself on the ship so that the sailors would not be lost would not die in the storm. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for all who believe to save us from sin. Jonah threw himself into the fury of the sea. Jesus threw himself into the fury of God's wrath when he went to the cross. Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus in the grave for three days. The fish could not hold Jonah. The grave could not hold Jesus. Now, when Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh, another kind of miracle occurred. The people believed God's message and they repented. See, repentance is a miracle. I mean, nobody would have possibly expected the Assyrians of all people in their arrogance and their violence to actually humble themselves and turn to God. That was was a complete miracle. God had softened their hearts. But it's not just a miracle for people like the Assyrians. None of us can come to God unless God works in our life, unless God draws us to him, unless he softens our heart. Yet even then when he does that, some will still refuse to trust in him. We see it with these people that Jesus is talking to. In Matthew 12, he says to them, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. And he's talking to the top leaders, the top religious leaders of his day, the most religious people in the community at that time. And he says, you know what, you're going to have to answer to the people of Nineveh because they heard Jonah and they turned to God. They humbled themselves. They were contrite. They turned to God. He says, but you guys, you've seen me. You've heard me, and yet you remain hard-hearted. So that's the message of Jonah, this God of miracles. He wants to work in our lives. The greatest miracle is the resurrection of Jesus that leads to our repentance. And I firmly believe that some of you are experiencing a miracle right now because the God of the universe is speaking to you and he's drawing you to himself. He's softening your heart toward himself. How are you going to respond? It's not just the Ninevites who need to repent. It's not just Jonah with his bad attitude that we saw last week. not just Jonah that needs to repent. But each and every one of us needs to turn from ourself and turn from our own self-directed ways and self-directed life and turn to God. He invites us to do that. Because the most amazing miracle is that God did not leave us in our condition, in our sinful lost condition, Jesus came. God sent him into the world. He came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he went to the cross, and he died there to pay the debt that we should have to pay. And he was in the grave for three days, but the grave could not hold him in. And he rose, and he lives today, proving that he's the the only one who's worthy to take our sins upon himself. So when you confess your sins and your need and your brokenness and your unworthiness, you confess all of that to Him. And you trust what He did on the cross for you. You ask Him to forgive your sins and to be Lord in your life. The Bible says that you have absolute assurance that you have a new life now and eternity with Him forever. I want to urge you today to entrust your life and your eternity To Jesus today. If you want to do that, come up and talk to a member of our team after the service is over. If you're not quite sure what even that means, and you have more questions about the things I've been talking about, then come up and talk to to our team. Talk to Pastor Mark or others here today who can help you understand that. But just don't harden your heart against the miracle that God is doing in your life today. Let's pray.